Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Left Turn Canada. I'm Andy Burkowski with Christo Avalise. A special episode here for you this week. We're actually recording and hopefully going to be releasing this on Labor Day. So, Christo, it's it's kind of nice that we all the stars can align for us to talk about the importance of labor and then maybe eviscerate what's happening in this federal election here in Canada. So, thank you all uh, for listening. Christo, Labor Day, how would you describe this holiday? Why is this important and why is this not a communist uh, trap set up by, you know, the Kremlin that I think I saw some conservatives, mostly, to be fair, south of the border saying, but uh, yeah, yeah, there was a a Trumpian American who said uh, Labor Day is a communist holiday, which to be clear, it is not. And in reality, and I'm not I'm not poo pooing Labor Day, but Labor Day in both Canada and the United States was set up to be like, you know, that last weekend of the summer, first weekend of the fall type thing, you know, and it was set there to not be associated with May Day, mm-hmm. right, on May 1st, which is generally seen in much of the the Western world, at least, as like the day of, of like, workers and, and socialist and anarchist and, and, and communist, like, left organizing broadly defined, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, uh, that's one of the factors. Mm -hmm. So if anything, it's an anti-communist holiday in a sense meant to like disconnect labor unionism from the left. It didn't necessarily work, but the point is that, you know, it's a day to celebrate workers. It's a day to look at their historic achievements. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the struggles, the limitations of labor at times, what we can do better. Uh, and it's a very important day, uh, mm-hmm. and it really highlights that there remains much to fight for, and it also really highlights how certain politicians like Justin Trudeau will put out very nice-sounding Labor Day messages, and then, um, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, legislate workers back to work, spitting on their labor rights, yeah. uh, and also uh, thank workers for their contributions during this pandemic. Uh, while offering uh, sick leave only after uh, governing for six years and uh, at a position at a time where that very bill could be lost because he called an election. Uh, So you really get to see politicians come out of the woodwork and pretend like they care about workers uh, for this long weekend once a year. Mm -hmm. And that distinction between this celebration and holiday and May Day is an important one and and why... Like you said, we kind of laugh at the notion that this is, you know, some big communist plot because it's kind of designed to be the exact opposite. But this struggle continues. We need better access to unionization, more sick days that, like you said, Trudeau just kind of dangled after the fact. You got to vote for him or else maybe you won't get this. Yeah, he could have done it three weeks ago. but could have done it like the first couple months of last year when we were really needing it. And like people were so scared, had no idea how this was transmitted, like in the, in the ways that we knew, like we all remember what that time was like and, and work kind of continued. It took a while for the gears to get in motion where people actually knew, okay, we, we can't go into work. This is a health risk and we have to make changes, but no, he's bringing it up now. And it is funny to tie that into, I think how it's going for the liberals. Last week when we spoke about the federal election, there was a lot of doom and gloom from the liberal camp. The numbers did kind of look like 
uh, O'Toole and the Conservatives were getting that lead and inching ahead. In the last week, that has been the narrative and and the numbers have kind of uh, mellowed a little bit. But this idea of a possible majority that Trudeau and the Liberals could get does seem further and further away from a reality. And it makes Trudeau's decision to have this election just seem more and more ludicrous even as the numbers yeah. kind of settle it's definitely not looking like a slam dunk no no certainly not i mean if you look at the cbc poll tracker basically gives the liberals about a 54 percent chance of winning and the conservatives 46 but the liberals were as they were um in right on the precipice of a majority uh at the beginning of the campaign it was sort of a question of the liberals are almost certainly going to win yeah, But uh, it was kind of like a coin flip about a majority or not. Now, there's only a 10% chance of a liberal majority. Now, to be clear, that is the, the polls have gotten a little bit better for them in the last week. And certainly, they, they haven't been getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been a couple new polls, a new poll by Nanos, uh, one of the more reputable pollsters in Canada, that just dropped a poll this afternoon, just a couple hours before we recorded, which... Um, uh, suggest that the Liberals are back in a narrow lead uh, uh, by a uh, a couple of points. Or uh, let me see the exact number. Yeah, let's, let's find uh, But yeah, by a couple of points over the Conservatives, um, likely leading to something of a status quo parliament mm-hmm. where the Liberals have a, a minority but a significant one. Uh, the NDP have been polling more or less status quo in the last week. There was a... They are well above their uh, the numbers that they finished in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are well, well above the numbers they were at at the start of the 2019 campaign. But they um, haven't really surged too far beyond the sort of low 20s. Yeah. A lot of polls have them in that 19 to 23 range with, you know, the averages being somewhere in the low 20s. They haven't been able to break through that glass ceiling. Now, one additional factor is that in some polls, the PPC are polling quite highly. Uh, uh, in some cases, as high as 6 or 7%. Mm-hmm. Now... That's not enough for them to win a seat uh, because their vote is so uh, uh, mal mal distributed mm-hmm. because first past the post is broken. Um, <laughs> but the reality is that um, they're they're clearly manifesting like anti lockdown sentiment. And yeah. I would be interested to see who is voting PPC because while I assume a lot of those people would be you know conservative voters if if not PPC voters. Uh, th- their embracing of like the anti-vax, anti-lockdown rhetoric might be building a more ideologically diverse coalition than you might expect. Mm. Or maybe it's it's certainly more on the right, but maybe not exclusively so. Because yeah, no. they're the only party taking the definitive like anti-science, anti-COVID. you know Because you whether or not uh, people trust Aaron O'Toole or, or what have you, uh, O'Toole himself has has never you know advised against COVID guidelines, for mm-hmm. instance. Yeah, um, and so it's opened up this space for the PPC. We'll see if they capitalize. Although that could be good for O'Toole because if that vote in the final days collapses towards the Conservatives, that might uh, lead to quite a surge for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, towards the end as well so there could be a possibility where you know the writing's on the wall a little bit for a lot of the ppc supporters and they just see like you know we don't want trudeau maybe they'll throw their lot in vote strategically if you will for uh, o'toole in that way they might right and Mm -hmm. it'll depend on the motivations if they're doing it because you know they they really believe in the ppc's anti-lockdown anti-mask act anti-vaccine mandate rhetoric 
then they might not. They might mm -hmm. uh, either vote PPC or not vote at all. Mm -hmm. um, but it would be interesting to see what happens there. The, you know, the, the anti-lockdown stuff is driving them. It may well be the case that while the PPC is their first choice, it doesn't necessarily mean the conservatives are their second choice in all cases. Mm -hmm. Even if that's probably the most common, you know, person who's a PPC voter, their second choice is most likely to be conservative. But I wouldn't say it's ubiquitous. You yeah, it, it has been very interesting and even entertaining to see the type of candidates that are on, you know, the PPC ballot and, and the different eclectic groups of, if I can say freely, absolute lunatics that, that are putting yeah, their a lot names of them are the Yeah, a lot of them are just wild. Some of them, like, just like take the weirdest stuff <laughs> from, like, the Jordan Peterson yeah. wing of YouTube, where Andy and I are. Well, on YouTube, but, you know, take those people and one of those people is running for them, I believe, in St. John, New Brunswick. Yeah, my He's man. He's like a right wing like YouTuber who uh, loves to talk about semen retention and, and all of these. Oh, sorts one of more things. time for Crystal, just for yeah. our listeners. Semen in the back. retention. Yes, semen yeah. retention. Yeah. So you do not lose your manhood. You have to, like, preserve it within you. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not making this up. This, this is a guy. He's running. And probably this is not going to win. Yeah, probably I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to count him before he's out. Yeah. But the semen retention guy's not going to win his seat in St. John, New Brunswick, but he is running. He's yeah, on he, the ballot. He's getting a lot of uh, traction too. people know his name yeah. in ways the that a lot of those is, don't. And they're on more ballots than the Greens. They're yeah. on a vast. The NDP, uh, as it was, is the only party that no matter where you live in this country, you can vote for mm -hmm. because the liberals and conservatives have each had one creep drop out uh, since the ballots have been finalized. Uh, the block you can only vote for in Quebec. Yeah. The PPC is on a majority of the ballots, quite a bit, uh, but the the Greens are, I believe, are 70 or 80 seats short, which is the worst result for them, I, I believe, since Elizabeth May won her seat, like yeah. since they've been a seated party. Mm -hmm. This is the worst result for them. So the Greens, we haven't talked about as about them as much, are really struggling right now. Yeah, um, They do have an opportunity, uh, as some news, the incumbent Liberal MP in Kitchener Center is not running, which makes that like a very unique potential three-way race between a conservative, a green, and an NDPer, which mm. is a combo that exists almost nowhere in this country, yeah. right? Um, huh. And so that'll be very interesting. Um, but uh, yeah. It, it's interesting to say, because you talk about the greens there. Here in Guelph, where I live, you know, for our um, Ontario representative, we have our yeah. the Green Party leader here. So last election cycle, the green candidate federally was getting a lot of traction. You know, people were really behind him in a big way. And I think I don't exactly remember, but I think he became second right after the liberal candidate. This time around, it's a different green candidate. Hardly any real visibility out there. Doesn't really seem to have, you know, the motivation behind it. But I am seeing more PPC signs here than ever yeah. before last year, including, and I just want to put this out here, one of the biggest, most ostentatious homes on the block right near downtown <laughs> Guelph, where there is approximately a million dollars on the driveway in cars. If you pass yeah. by, there's Mercedes, there's Sounds Ferraris. like the PPC base. It really is. But the, the idea that this... And then again, I'm a little bit of uh, playing in, in the margins here, but that this dude, because I have seen him, this old dude, didn't feel comfortable to do this last go around. Like, I'm sure there was no PPC signs there, but now is super confident and has like 10 big ones, I think does show 
the transition and the change that we you talked about there, Christo, of what the PPC is representing across this country now and that diverse coalition of people, of crazy ass people who are against the lockdowns and the vaccinations to begin with and, and want things to be different, how that's going to affect our politics is really interesting. I think in America, and you can speak to this a, a little more than I, it's a little easier to uh, predict. You know, there it clearly is there are percentages of the population in the United States where this is politicized and this is just a party line. Where those people go here in Canada come uh, September 20th, I don't know. And it could give them, you know, O'Toole, like you said, that boost that he yeah. needs to to come out ahead. But I, I agree. I don't think it's quite as binary because just seeing here locally, I think they got a lot of outlier greens that are now kind of flirting with PPC here as an option. So really interesting to see the collapse yeah. of the greens and how it affects, uh, you know, our landscape here. Yeah, because in a lot of writings, the collapse is like you know somewhat irrelevant, right? Because yeah. they only got one percent of the vote. Unless the writing is razor thin, the, the disappearance of the Greens uh, is unlikely mm -hmm. to have an effect. But you're right in a writing where they got a a significant level of support, say seven, eight, nine, or in your, in your case, finished second place, likely getting maybe twenty percent of the vote, then a collapse for them really could have an effect, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you know, Canada thinks can be harder to predict for a few reasons. The multi-party system gives voters more choice, which gives more flexibility uh, and volatility. Uh, also, our, our ridings are less gerrymandered. There are probably fewer safe ridings in Canada than in the U.S. Mm -hmm. There are lots of safe ridings in Canada, but ridings are not specifically designed by a partisan committee to make them, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so... I would say that there are there is more flexibility within Canadian Parliament. There are fewer ultra safe seats uh, in in Canada than in the U.S., and mm -hmm. I think that has an effect. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I, just to tie back into our main uh, thrust here, our, our main story, we're trying to touch on here. We're we're about two weeks, if not exactly two weeks, out of the election. The numbers you have here, Christo. You know, where do you think we're ending up? the most likely and what do you think the the legacy of that'll be you know a week later I, i'm just i'm flirting with ideas if we reach a status quo what does that mean for trudeau and his leadership as it continues for the liberal party we've talked about it before that might not necessarily be you know locked in and what does that mean for o'toole because i don't think his new success has really anything to do with what he's saying, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be a, a something that's rallying that um, Canadians are rallying around, as we've seen before, as opposed to maybe what Jagmeet is saying. I think people are rallying around in a big way. It, it just seems to be like almost a natural sieve and flow. How do you think this is going to end up, you know, two weeks out now? I mean, I'm not sure. We have a couple. Well, there are still uh, two major debates, the, the mm -hmm. official English debate and the official French debate. Those are going to be very big, watched by a lot of people, um, and those those are obviously potential inflection points where parties could surge or or, or flounder or stop, uh, you know, a momentum for another party upward or downward, but whatever, right? Like we yeah. can't make full predictions uh, at all, probably until the final <laughs> night, but but especially without without that debate uh, happening. 
We need, we need that. We need that more information. Right now, again, right now, my instinct is that we're heading towards a liberal minority. I think the the, the liberals have better vote efficiency, um, and and I kind of feel like they're 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 getting back a little bit of their momentum. The question is going to be which kind of minority, and that's going to determine a lot. Uh, you know, Trudeau might be forced out if it's seen that he uh, took a step back in this election, even mm-hmm. if the liberals retain power. O'Toole might be able to stay on if he, you know, makes significant gains in seats, right? Oh, uh, Sheer was forced out, but there was a perception that Sheer blew an election that he was expected to win given all Trudeau scandals. Yeah. Whereas this election, I think that the the conservatives were were quite worried that they were going to get a shellacking and Trudeau was going to kind of prance to a majority, right? Just mm-hmm. like, you know, cakewalk to a majority. And, it, you know, that doesn't seem to be happening. I, I suppose it's still possible, of course, but but Trudeau did not get a cakewalk election like, say, John Horgan did mm-hmm. in British Columbia. Right. Like mm-hmm. where it just it was an election without any 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 tension or conflict. He simply just won a majority that that's not happening here. And so I'm not exactly sure how it's going to end, but we could end up in a scenario where the three main party leaders run again. Yeah, um, that could happen. Right. It could happen that in, if we have another minority then in 2023 or so, it's Singh versus O'Toole versus Trudeau once more. Um, I don't think Singh will face a lot of pressure to resign, uh, especially given that it looks like he's going to increase both seats and um, and uh, popular vote. Yeah. Although who knows? what the motivations for people will be if it's a Trudeau majority or an O'Toole majority, because regardless of the NDP's performance, it'll be four more years till another election. Singh mm-hmm. is obviously very young. It might be sensed that this gives the NDP an opportunity to really build up Singh uh, uh, as this elder statesman and kind of do the Leighton thing where, you know, Leighton was NDP leader for, for the better part of a decade before his 2011 breakout, right? He became leader in the early 2010, in the early uh, 2000s. Uh, I believe he became leader in 2003, 2004, uh, and didn't have that breakout until eight years later. And that was, I believe, his third, maybe even fourth election as leader. Mm-hmm. So I trust that NDPers will probably be patient with Singh. Yeah, and, and he is just every yeah. poll that we, we yeah. hear, Singh is up across the board as the, yeah. by far the most popular often the leader. Only, yeah, often the only popular leader. For instance, yeah. a new poll that dropped, I believe, yesterday... Um, by Abacus suggests that uh, Anami Paul is minus 18, Ooh, the Green Party geez. leader who has not yet left Toronto during this campaign. Yeah. She's, fo- she's basically running as a glorified independent, yeah. as all the Green candidates appear to be. Like, um, you know, I, I have not I've not seen Elizabeth May. I've not seen Paul Manley. I assume that they are running uh, campaigns in their part of BC and, and sticking to that. Uh, O'Toole is minus 10. Trudeau minus six and Singh plus 18. Mm-hmm. So he is significantly more popular than the other leaders. He's 24 points more popular than Trudeau, who is in second. Yeah. So uh, that's not yet converted to votes. I mean, Singh has done very well when they have questions based on like, are they honest? Are they fighting for you? Do they have a hint? Like, like, like yeah, this is from, from Ipsos says anything to get elected. Trudeau 46, O'Toole 29, Singh only 6%. Yeah. In over their head, Trudeau 34, O'Toole 19, Singh only 8. Has a hidden agenda, Trudeau 36, 
O'Toole 32, sing only six. So on everything from likability to genuineness to trustability, Singh is far and away the most likable leader yeah. and trusted leader. It is not yet converting into votes, though. Mm. Not not to the degree that you might expect or hope, right? Like, again, the part NDP is doing significantly better uh, in most parts of the country relative to 2019, especially at the beginning of that campaign. But it's not yet converted into, you know, Singh really making a push into the mid-20s or, or, or and beyond, right? I yeah. believe the NDP has cracked 24% in a couple polls one time, mm. but has not gone beyond that. And and, and again, I, I usually is a couple points below that. I do wonder about how backwards our politicking here is in Canada, that those traits that you just described in the, in the poll, like those sort of questions, I really do believe there's a percentage of the population that hears those answers and go like, oh, no, no, we want a leader that'll do whatever they can to get ahead. Like, these are what politicians do. <laughs> this is what I do in my job where I'm a small business tyrant. You know, you got to treat me like I'm a worker. I, yeah, like, I do I'm think there sure is there's definitely. OK, let's go. Let's I don't know. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, I'm sure that a, a group of people like that exists. I just don't think they're that significant. Yeah, I think most people like to think of themselves as like honest, straight shooters. And they like to think about the fact that the politician they want is an honest straight shooter. And I don't know, right? Yeah. But it, I think honestly, it's like there's a perception that Singh is all these things, but like, you know, you, only the, the the liberals or conservatives are going to win. So you got to vote for one of those guys, right? Yeah, just the reality of the situation. Well, this is yeah. a good uh, jumping off point here for this little announcement. We made some changes to our Discord now. I've added a, a new... Uh, tier for basically anyone that wants to be a part of our little Patreon community. Uh, even if you just got a buck a month, you can join us in our conversations yeah. here over at Patreon. Want to make it accessible? Yeah. Yeah. Left Turn Canada, Patreon.com there. And I think that'll be one of the questions for this week. I want to ask what we yeah. just danced with here. You know, do you think, looking in your own personal opinion, that the electorate in Canada believe that leaders should be straight shooters and they should have these, you know, impressive and noble ideals or should, do you think that people believe that their leaders should be, you know, maybe a little duplicitous, do whatever they can to get ahead because that's what politics is. So please, you know, I'll, I'll make sure it's all yeah. set up there on discord. I'd love to hear what yeah. people think. Are you a Christo or you're an Andy? Let's find yeah. out. And yeah. uh, that's a good tie in for a question here. Uh, this is a question that we have from Discord. It was a group question from Pierre and our new patron, Jambalaya, who has that dope name. It's about uh, the NDP in Quebec. So, Christo, here it is. Why is the NDP doing poorly relative to the Jack Layton days in Quebec? I've seen it in polls quite well. I've seen them poll quite well with young people, as with the rest of Canada in Quebec. Do Quebecois see the bloc as a real alternative, or is it something else? How could, in your opinion, the NDP win back solid support that used to be enjoyed in Quebec in the latent days? Now, I do know there was a poll that suggested maybe something a little uh, otherwise, that the NDP is doing pretty well in Quebec, but you know, generally, Christo, what do you think? I mean, my my perspective is clearly like Quebec at times will vote in in a, in a pun intended, I suppose, a block. Right. Mm, yeah. Um, and I definitely think that they were open to voting NDP because they like Jack Layton um, 
because Leighton seemed to have a good sense of what was happening in Quebec and what Quebecers wanted. And in that election, he was seen as the, at least among the federal leaders, the best option to to challenge Stephen Harper. And so whether it's a mixture of strategic voting from Quebecers and something that represents their issues, they'll often vote like that. And one of the challenges for the NDP is that you know, in losing that momentum, it's hard to get it back because you have a lot of voters in, say, urban Montreal who will vote liberal because mostly, both provincially and federally, generally like the Anglo population in Quebec votes liberal, right? Federally for the Quebec Liberal Party or for the federal Liberal Party. And given that the liberals are currently governing, it makes it harder to justify a vote against the liberals mm. if your goal is we want to elect non-conservatives to go to parliament for us. Mm. And then you also have, you know, the resurgence of the block. And it's always challenging to take on the block because even though the block isn't really taking a separatist position, they, they represent or are perceived to represent Quebec's interests. And so the NDP really made a lot of gains in Quebec among two types of populations. They made some wins in urban Montreal and they made some wins in like a lot of the more rural areas that the bloc typically controls. Areas that in Ontario would almost never vote NDP, right? Like like mm -hmm. a lot of kind of like rural, uh, you know, communities. Um, and with the bloc coming back and with the liberals coming back, it's like those are the two areas where the NDP have, have strength in Quebec but but ne not enough to necessarily take on either of those two parties. Hmm. So, and, and of course, and, and, and I don't even know if this is the majority of the people, but it's enough of them to stymie the NDP. There are a certain percentage of people that maybe won't vote for Jugmeet because he's a brown man in a turban. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if that's the main reason. I don't think it's necessarily the number one reason, but it probably plays a role, right? You have a, yeah. a, a francophone man named Trudeau, you know, uh, who is the current prime minister and you have a old stock Quebecois person in Blanchette. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you, you, you have that. I mean, they did vote for Jack Layton, um, but even Jack Layton could uh, claim to be a Quebecer in some ways. He grew up in Quebec, right? So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I definitely think some people are warming up to saying there is some indication that after the French debate on TVA, the NDP is up in Quebec. Uh, some polls are indicating uh, the potential to win a couple more seats, but for for right now at least, there doesn't the prospect of like even winning what Tom Mulcair did, which I believe was like you know fifteen or so seats in Quebec, just doesn't seem to be in the cards right now. I think the best the NDP can hope for right now, unless there's a Singh surge, like somehow voters on mass decide that you know Singh is the 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 per, the ABC option and not Trudeau. If that happens. Uh, all bets are off, of course. But right mm -hmm. now, it looks like they have a chance of picking up, um, you know, Boularis' seat again, maybe Ruth Ellen Brousseau and a couple more. But the the surge, it's just not there right now. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. You you laid it out that just the, the mechanics of how Quebec works traditionally doesn't support in this one moment uh, Jagmeet yeah. getting that lead in the way that maybe you know other leaders could have just because of what's happening here yeah things could change but yeah i think that uh does answer the question now where do we see the ndp making kind of the biggest gains here because like you said they have been a little bit stagnant but it's still an improvement uh on the result of 2019 you know just based on some estimates uh that we have now 
where do you think some of those gains would come from? Well, right now, if you look at the, uh, if you look at the, uh, 338 tracker mm-hmm. it seems to have gains somewhat evenly spread like the ndp would make some gains uh in uh the west they would make some gains in bc they would make gains in ontario maybe one or two seats in quebec one or two seats in the atlantic it's not necessarily the case this time where the ndp is seeing one unified surge across one particular region like they did for instance in 2011 where most of the ndp gains came from quebec they did make gains in other parts of the country um but most of the gains were in quebec which is why the orange wave stopped right they made yeah. some gains uh, they did win some seats they don't often win in play- in places like scarborough for instance which is generally not a pro ndp part of the gta but they um they 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 fell short. It the the real strength point looks to be BC, where in a lot of polls the NDP competes for first and sometimes polls first. So that's probably where the most gains could be made. But um, Ontario, it doesn't look like they're poised to gain that many seats. I think in large part because the Liberals remain strong in Ontario, and so long as the Liberals remain strong in Ontario, it's hard for the NDP to to really make significant gains because most of the seats they compete with in Ontario, not all, but most are against the liberals. And with the conservatives not being abysmal in Ontario, it makes it hard as well to win back seats like Essex and Oshawa, which are more traditional blue orange switchers. So Mm -hmm. really it's just like the NDP are adding a couple seats across the whole country. And that sort of works out to, like, you know, a gain of eight, 10 or so seats or whatever it is, which is what a lot of poll predictions are showing. That the NDP has about 24 seats right now and looks to be finishing in somewhere in the mid 30s. That's what a lot of the, yeah. the poll trackers are showing. That Like the, the, um, the 338 poll tracker has the NDP finishing somewhere uh, around 35. Uh, the uh, CBC poll tracker has the NDP finishing somewhere around 37 Hmm. uh and so uh that's a uh that's a a bit uh that's a big factor yeah that's that's so there are there are certainly gains Mm -hmm. uh there are certainly some uh a a little bit everywhere right like a little bit everywhere but but no but no no regional breakthrough or a national breakthrough it's not as if uh sing is poised to gain 10 seats in atlantic canada for instance right like it's just that's not in the cards right now and I, I guess this, if you do look at it and you could tell me if, if this is not the case, a growth like this seems to be more foundational for just a growth in the party for the future when there isn't just a wave in one area, but just generally they can be seen more as an alternative because of, you know, the policies that are being represented and because of the constant feuding between, you know, the two major parties. Could this possibly be, you know, more indicative of success going forward, you know, turning Jagmeet into that elder statesman that Leighton got with his initial successes and then just being around, you know, could could this be a path that perhaps would be better than, you know, getting a boom in just a couple of key areas that maybe could be taken away if there's a, you know, a few demographic changes or, or political changes in, you know, the the arithmetic of it all. Is that just naive or does that how this shit works? <laughs> 
I mean, I think you got to go with the seats. I mean, the system's yeah. broken, right? Mm-hmm. The system. Look, look at the PPC. And again, I'm not a defender of the PPC, but if they end up getting eight percent of the vote, I doubt they'll be that high. But if they get eight percent of the vote and zero seats, that's a broken system. Yeah. And you can say all you want that. Oh, what that shows is that more more than the Greens, they actually have more sustained strength across the this vast and diverse country because they would get more votes than the Greens. Uh, you need to cluster the votes to mean something in the system. And I think there's something to be said for having a higher popular vote total. But if the NDP was to gain, say, five points this election, and you distributed those five points over all of the regions evenly, you might gain very little. Mm. Whereas if the NDP were to gain five points in Ontario alone... They might gain a dozen seats. I'm not sure. I have to do the math. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like they're, and 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 as you note, that might it's more feast or famine. The NDP had the Quebec wave, and the Quebec wave disappeared. They lost all but one of those seats within a decade, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that could happen with popular vote as well. Mm. Um, so I would say that in general, yes, there is something to be said for the fact that if you eventually want to have the NDP positioned as uh, having a better chance to form government, you're going to want more sustained growth across the various regions and across the various parts of each province. So more suburban and some rural strength so that you can say we have more accessible ridings than we used to. You know, because you could say the liberals are conservatives. One of the advantages they have is not only more votes, but because they have those more votes in the way they're distributed, they have a much easier path to say 170 seats. Mm-hmm. Whereas for the NDP, it's, it can be quite difficult, if we're being honest, to draw up a hypothetical map of how the NDP gets to 170 seats to form a majority, right? Hypothetically. Yeah. Like, where do you find those seats? You can find 50 of them, 60 of them, probably quite easily. And then the next 40 or 50 may be okay as well because the NDP did win about 100 seats back in 2011. But where does the NDP find those last 50, yeah. right? Those last 50, 60 seats to get to a, to get to a real strong minority or a majority government. Um, yeah. That's the challenge. It would have to be a collapse. It would have and to be so, and so, yeah. Collapse. And yeah. so, yeah, in that sense, you're right that you, if you more sustained strength across the country would make that more likely. But in the to, to, to in the interim, you also still need the seats, yeah. right? Like you also still need to get beyond 20, 30 seats and, and really show people that you have a large sustained caucus. And often the only way you can do that outside of like an absolute shock election is a real big beachhead regionally. Like, like mm. again, in 2011, it didn't ultimately pan out, but you saw how it almost did. The NDP in 20, as recently as 2008, barely had any MPs in Quebec ever. Tom Mulcair was a rare exception. Um, they were, they had, you know, beachheads here and there, but, you know, didn't have a, re, a big regional stronghold. They won that uh, big result in Quebec and as a result became the opposition party, the, 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 the head opposition party. And then... Um, parlayed that into uh, at least for a time they were polling in first place even during that 2019 2015 election there were moments during that election where tom mulcair was polling in first place Mm -hmm. potentially able to win a government didn't work out that way but that would have never happened without the big bulk of seats giving the party legitimacy in quebec and i think that's maybe the way you have to do it man so the answer to my question is 
it kind of would help, but the system is so busted. You got to get those seats. Yeah. Unless you, you got get- that, it doesn't really matter if you have that sustained growth because you'll just, you'll never get a chance. You know, it does make me, and I think Jigmeet's doing an excellent job. And I think, like you said, this will happen. I think you will kind of go the older statesman latent route if this continues the way that it has been. But I do wonder if, like, Nikki Ashton could have made that beachhead out west if things you know were so different so many years ago if that could have been you know where the growth yeah. happened it's and always hard right yeah. because and the west is different too nikki's riding is very different than some other parts of the west and you could always make the hypothetical argument guy caron does he win does the NDP yeah. gain strength in quebec maybe do they gain enough who knows but in addition what do you give away in english canada maybe you don't give away anything maybe that was the best decision i don't know but it's like these what ifs are always very difficult to parse, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, if you don't pick Tom Mulcair in 2015, um, does Quebec abandon you outright immediately, right? Like, I don't know, right? Like, yeah. these are always, uh, uh, you know, hindsight 2020 <laughs> questions. You can but, go way far back and make yeah, a lot of yeah. different changes if you just keep yeah. going, right? Yeah. Uh, I think someone, I saw it on Twitter, I think yesterday, someone saying like, oh, isn't it great that, you know, 2019 was the last election before electoral reform, thanks to Trudeau. And things are so great now, like obviously facetiously, but it does, it's so stark when I'm here with you talking about the numbers and we see where these votes are spread, how this is just a promise that our, our sitting prime minister did not provide that is directly benefiting the powers that be and it doesn't even seem to be an issue anymore. Like enough time has passed, enough bad shit has happened that I would, I think it's fair to say most Canadians, it's just not on the top of their list because they're worried about their jobs and getting sick from COVID. And there's just so many more pressing concerns. Yeah. But if this had have changed, how different our system would have been. Yes. PPC yeah. lunatics would, you know, being in positions of power perhaps, but we would have had the changes we need. So regionality and development can go. It doesn't have to be this this dice roll that it almost seems yeah. every couple years. I mean, look, electoral reform was never a main issue for the yeah. average voter. It's yeah. not. The average voter, even in 2015, motivated some progressive voters. Maybe it was the reason, one of the reasons Trudeau was able to convert a minority into a majority, won him some close ratings, races and some close ridings. Uh, and it matters to a lot of the people that we talk to on Twitter, our audience, people who listen to political podcasts for fun are not normal. And I'm not being <laughs> rude to our audience, Straight but they're, but they're, yeah, but they're <laughs> not right. We're like, it's not typical, especially yeah. outside of an election period, blah, blah, blah. And so in our circles, it was a supreme betrayal of a major promise. And it was a supreme betrayal of a major promise. Trudeau and his party, the estimates were that it was promised no fewer than 1800 times during that campaign. (laughs) So obviously the liberals understood that it had some value to them, but it was never going to be the kind of thing that if they didn't deliver it, it was going to automatically sink them. But you're 100% right in noting that you're seeing the effects because Mm -hmm. you still have people um, that are basically like, you got to vote Trudeau to stop O'Toole. And like, it's a hostage situation. And Trudeau understands that. And Trudeau sees that the NDP's policies are more popular than his. The NDP leader is more popular than him. 
And the only thing keeping, not everyone, but the only thing keeping a significant portion of liberal voters voting liberal is the first past the post system. Yeah. Right. It's a hostage situation. Mm-hmm. And, and Trudeau, I think, realized that he realized that. It, it's really interesting to when you put it in those terms, just to see what the role of prime minister is at this point and, and what Trudeau's real role in our government is. It does seem like it is now more than ever just designed to ensure the wheels of power keep turning in the same sort of way. Because over the past week, you know, I've looked a little bit about, you know, how this electioneering has gone in the last week to try to connect what people have been saying with, you know, some of the polling. It doesn't make any sort of sense. Like the conservatives, their biggest push this week has been the big attacks on the liberals accusing Trudeau of maybe even starting a new election in 18 months if there is, uh, you know, a status quo result critical of, you know, the new spending policy, yelling higher taxes, but then faltering so much. I think it was today O'Toole finally clarified his big gun policy that was supposed to be, you know, this the banging of the drum for gun rights. And it's basically bullshit. It's just basically a confusing mess. Right, Christo? Well, O'Toole is O'Toole knows that he's right on the door of winning this. Yeah, like he, he has got a shot at winning this election, and in fact, in a lot of polls, it's it's basically still sort of fifty fifty, right? A lot of polls have him winning the popular vote, but again, because of the distribution, at least on the assumption, uh, it's right there. And so, mm-hmm. what he's he thinks to himself is that. You know, I might piss off elements of my base, but they might hate Trudeau so much they don't even care what I say. They just hate Trudeau. Um, I need to convince some of those suburbanite voters in the 905, some of those people in certain parts of BC and Quebec, certain urban voters uh, in parts of the Maritimes that may be open to voting conservative. The sort of people that voted for Stephen Harper in 2011 but didn't vote for the conservatives in 2015 or 2019, right? Because remember, Harper won a majority yeah. in 2011 and, and did well in, in Ontario to, to, to get that. His success in suburban Ontario was one of the, the tipping points that, get, that made that majority possible. And so O'Toole likely thinks to himself, I need to basically promise whether or not he's genuine, uh, like uh, that I'm not going to make any radical moves away from the current gun policy. And mm-hmm. some people are saying it's a flip-flop. Some people are saying, oh, it's just a clarification. Um, I'm more interested in the fact that it's very clear O'Toole understands that he will win not based on what he says, but on what he's not saying, mm-hmm. right? And, and they're not, I'm not even necessarily accusing him of hiding an agenda, although I wouldn't be surprised if he is like Trudeau is as well. But the point is, I think he realizes that what's going to get him to be prime minister is not saying the sort of things around guns and gays and abortion and all those sorts of things. Like yeah. That's what's going to get him to 24 Sussex. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. he can propose policies and he can, can say nice things and those will help him. But right now, the barrier is people are afraid of a conservative government, especially a conservative majority. And he has to assuage those fears. And guns are one of those issues where like people who might vote conservative uh, in, in, a, in a bubble... Uh, have reservations about actually doing it. And I think that's what he's clearly trying to do. And of course, Trudeau has ramped up the attacks and the liberals have ramped up the attacks on the conservatives based on a lot of the the culture war issues. 
and and I've made you know a lot of direct appeals or and, and and comparisons to Harper, sort of tapping into that. You know, we can't go back to the Harper days mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe some of this stuff has worked because uh, the O'Toole has not surge has not continued. Again, he's yeah. still in a very good position. If you told Aaron O'Toole he would be in this position three weeks ago, he would have kissed you. Um, <laughs> but the but the but the reality is that um, it looks like the momentum is slowing down. And I think the campaigning follows these lines that you're suggesting. The conservatives, what are they attacking Trudeau on? They're not talking about socially progressive or socially conservative issues. It's about the money. It's about starting a new election. It's about this new spending. It's trying to give people the permission to who make, you know, over $100,000 a year that maybe aren't really that progressive, but allowing them the permission to say, I don't have to vote for Trudeau. I can actually vote conservative because one, it looks like there's a good chance they're going to win. And like you said, this guy is not a raving lunatic like the PPC. I wonder if it even helps those people, those 905ers, the place where I grew up, my my family, friends, those groups of people. It gives them more of an out because the PPC can kind of siphon off all of these socially crazy ones, maybe in their eyes, so that the conservatives seem like a better vote for those types of people. I I see it playing out that way, but it is unfortunate because it is so disingenuous. Like, what did we talk about a, a couple months back when the conservative party was just looking to, as a party, agree that maybe climate change should be dealt with in some sort of way by humans And that wasn't something they could agree. Not that like we need to switch to green economies, that we need to change our economic system from the ground up because not only is it unfair, it's going to kill us all. It's just addressing that it's going to happen and that we should do anything about it. They couldn't put pen to paper. So this idea that O'Toole represents just a slightly smarter and and more mature Trudeau governance, I don't think is true. I think they're both, you know, backing horses that are are wrong for this country. But I, I, I think it's very safe to say that an O'Toole government will cause more damage to Canadians than a like an O'Toole minority would possibly cause more damage to Canadians than a Trudeau minority. Because there are some lines here. There is a scale between, you know, what these parties believe and yeah, I, I do think this debate coming up this week is a vitally important one. You know, if O'Toole comes out strong, what do you think this could mean for those groups that you were touching on there? Yeah, I mean, if he can convince folks that he's not really right wing, blah, 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 um, you know, he can assuage the fears, then he has a shot consolidating the gains he's made and maybe picking up a few more. If Trudeau can successfully paint him as, you know, beholden to the radical right, because you can make the argument both ways. You could say O'Toole has largely sort of disavowed himself from a lot of the crazies in his own party. Uh, He came out at that convention where they, and he basically said, we're going to ignore that climate change is still part of our plan. Or you could say on the other hand, well, the only way he became leader was by getting the second and third choice votes from the more conservative candidates like Leslin Lewis and Derek Sloan, who's actually basically been booted from the party, right? Um, and whereas Peter McKay, the, the more moderate candidate, at least in terms of presentation, could not amass those more conservative votes. And so to what degree does O'Toole owe his leadership 
to those conservatives in his own party. Uh, and so if, if, if people are, if people can be assuaged that he's not hiding a radically social conservative agenda, then he could be in a good position. Otherwise mm. there could be a, an ABC backlash. The, yeah. A lot of the, uh, may, may, maybe it's NDPers and green voting liberal that might happen regardless. We don't know, but certainly a lot of the liberals who have at least temporarily left Trudeau to O'Toole could just go right back. Right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. If it is, and this is kind of the, the sentiment of this episode, you know, I think believing what Jagmeet is saying requires a certain optimism about not only Canada, but you know, our humankind that maybe we can protect each other and be out there for each other in some ways, you know, the basic humanism. But as these polling is uh, playing out and as the possible scenarios are, are being suggested here, it seems to be cynical people that have a lot switching back and forth to whatever is almost in vogue that could decide the fate of everyone else. Like as the, the Reds, <laughs> as the liberals and the conservatives are arguing with each other about who's worse, this week we have Jagmeet coming out again with the dental coverage for families earning less than 90000 Uh He wrote and had that big push of the putting partisan politics aside and urging all Canadians to get vaccinated. So it's almost more upsetting that there isn't a lot that Jugmeet in this moment could do, because is there a risk if he comes out with something more bold and, and leftist that you and I would like that it could hurt him more? Like, I think there are people in his ear that would suggest that I just, you know, it's hard at this moment looking at the numbers and, and how this system works, not to feel, you know, punched in the gut a little bit about if you're someone who really does kind of want there to be, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you want there to be changes, not necessarily for vanity or because it makes you more comfortable, but because you fucking need it. Like it yeah. needs to change so that you believe you can participate in this economic project. Like there's so many people that aren't in the position to ever be that callous. Like so many of those 905ers, we'll use an example just because of my familiarity, who can just kind of choose back and forth of what suits them based on, you know, something that's so trivial. Politics is very different for those who need it. And it does feel like the people that don't are perhaps going to decide this election. And that needs to change as soon as possible. But the only way it can change based on what we're hearing here is by the people who have the keys to the castle. So it's just, you know, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling a little in the dumps here, Christo, I got to say. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of legitimate criticisms about the, the dental care policy. It's not yeah. universal. Uh, although there is something to be said for the fact that uh, a universal system would almost certainly require negotiations with the provinces um, and take a long time. This is basically like something the government is just giving people money to get dental care, uh, just currently giving them access to the existing system, very similar to how people get money to spend on child care. Uh, with yeah. the child care benefit where they could spend that kind of as they wish. This is a bit more targeted, but basically would give anywhere from about four to 6 million Canadians dental care that they don't currently have all for the cost of about a billion a year. It's, it's really a bargain. Uh, whether or not it's the best way to do it, I think is a, a debate, but it's a uh, common sense policy. That's going to help a lot of people. So I'm yeah. not going to poo poo it. Uh, I think unlike the, 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 the student, loan yeah. plan which was needlessly complicated this one is like look unless you make a lot of money 
if you make more than $90,000, I know you're not rich, but it's a lot of money. Uh, and if you don't have insurance, you're going to have dental insurance now. If you already have insurance, you have insurance. And if you make more than 90, you can probably afford to get yourself the basic dental care you need. Yeah. We are going to cover that for everyone. And I think that that is a good start. And it's something that can be done on day one of an NDP government. Right. I think like, for instance, and, and it's so stark how cheap the plan is. It could have been paid for by taking the Trudeau tax cut. We we, we, we covered this, but, um, you know, uh, during this previous this parliament, I believe it was before covid, but we've talked about it where Singh went to Trudeau and said, look, you, you, you promised a tax cut. I get that. But if you take the money for that tax cut going to people making six figures and greater, you can pay for this dental care plan. Mm. <laughs> so the cost of giving 5 million Canadians or so dental care forever is the cost of that, 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 that Trudeau tax cut, which is going to give some rich people some money they don't need. Yeah. Right. And, and the tax cut would remain in place for say middle-class people, people making 60, 70,000, they would still get their tax cut. And so it was a no brainer from a moral perspective. Uh, the vast majority of working Canadians get a tax cut and uh, the, the people who don't have dental care and are low and middle income get dental care. Right. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, yeah. and they didn't do it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> some, some, I, I think it's, it's the kind of policy that's good and I get why people are critical of it, but also, uh, maybe it's not worth the energy to be fully critical of something that very easily gives significant help to people who desperately need it. Yeah. It, it's yeah. like, I get, I hear what you're saying, but look at the, you know, environment that we're in, in which this is being suggested a little bit. Uh, so this week, I think it's Thursday, right? This coming Thursday is the uh, the for the English debate. Am I correct? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So we will have our show up right after that. We're going to make sure that it's up right there to give you kind of the the play by play and how it went. So it's going to yeah, be maybe only we'll do kind of, of like days. a quick debate focused, maybe like a thirty minute kind of like yeah. quick hit episode. A little one yeah. there. Yeah. So I, I, that is something you should really catch on if you want to ask some questions or be maybe part of it as we're watching, because we'll have the discord open again, patreon.com slash left turn Canada, only a buck a month. Now there's higher options if you can, but this is more about just bringing people together that care about these sort of things and, and having a voice. Uh, before we go today, there's one last question I wanted to pose to you, Christo, that I think has been uh, spread around, admittedly a lot around Twitter over the last couple of weeks. The idea that voting NDP now means voting conservative. It's being spouted by a lot of just insane cult of Trudeau types, but yeah. it's also being spread by, you know, more legitimate and, and let's say more moderate sources. And as this tightens up, I think that question that is going to be pushed a lot more. So why is that just complete horseshit? Well, first of all, look, Liberals don't get to complain about about first past the post. They yes, don't get to fucking never. do it. They don't never, get to do never. it. No, they don't get to do it because they had a chance to fix it based on a promise they made eighteen hundred times. They won a majority, n not just because of that promise, but but in part because of that promise. And then they broke that promise. And then they continued to hold Canadians hostage, uh, in you know in the last election, and they're trying to in this election to vote for them. Um, so there's that. Like so, even if all of it is true. 
uh, I still don't give a fuck, frankly. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like, I don't care. <laughs> like, they don't get to complain. Uh, true, the next majority is on Trudeau. The next conservative majority, the next false conservative government is on Trudeau and the Liberal Party and his enablers. But beyond that, I mean, like, look, we've talked about this, right? Like, look at the broad trends. You can look at short-term and broader trends, and you can see, like, Nanos had a poll drop today. The NDP was up two. The Conservatives were down 1.5. So, like, if it's the case that, like... <laughs> How does that work, right? Yeah, if like, so if, if, what does that mean that a vote for the NDP actually is a vote against O'Toole? Like, <laughs> like, it's hard to make these judgments. But if we look at the broader trends, like, if you look at the charts on, say, 338.com, 338canada.com, it shows you the bar graph of like this election, right? Where the campaign begins a few weeks before and basically more or less the NDP is status quo, right? They are based, they started this election in like the very high teens, very low twenties, and they are almost exactly there right now on the polling aggregate, right? Mm -hmm. That's where they were. The liberals and conservatives have absolutely switched. The liberals were like in the mid 30s when the campaign started and the conservatives were below 30 when the campaign started. And then by the end of August, they had flipped. So basically, and again, you really should see it. Like if you haven't gone to the website, you should see it because it's hard to have this opinion. It's a a mirror. It's just a mirror. Yeah, the Greens, the block, the PPC, the, the, the PPC is up in a couple polls, but like the Greens, the block and the and the PPC are all hanging out way at the bottom of the graph. No significant movement upward or downward for them. The Greens are down a little bit. That might explain some of the NDP gains. But mm. for the most part, the NDP is status quo hanging in and around 20%. And so if such is the case, at least a significant portion of the voters right now are people who were planning to vote liberal four weeks ago, but not anymore because they're voting conservative. Now, some of that might be that the liberals are losing some people to the NDP and the people, the conservatives are gaining from somewhere else. Like that's possible. But in general, what we're seeing is that what's electing Aaron O'Toole right now is three things. One, a first past the post system that could give him a false majority. He's not in that position right now, but he could be Two, uh, the liberal voters voting conservative and three and very crucially Justin Trudeau calling the friggin' election in the first place, which <laughs> didn't need to happen right now. He could have waited two more years. So all these people would be like, we got to stop an O'Toole government. Well, O'Toole was stopped at least until the fall of 2023, maybe even 2024. If Justin Trudeau uh, repealed the fair elections act, because the fair elections act is, is just a simple bill and you only need to have elections in Canada once every five years. So Mm. if the goal was to stop O'Toole and the Conservatives at all costs, you had done that until 2023, 2024. Singh likely wouldn't have called an election, like at least for the next couple years, probably. Uh, And so uh, liberals that say it's all about stopping O'Toole are being disingenuous because they called the election and they're the ones actually voting Conservative. And there you have it. I think that's a good place to leave it off for this week. We got a couple more shows until uh, election day. Got some ideas about what we're going to do actually election night. Maybe we could talk to y'all live. It could be fun. Different platforms to do that. But we'll uh, definitely be in touch. You'll hear us next time this week on Thursday following the uh, leaders debates. Uh, Andy Burkowski, Christopher Elise, see you then. 
Thank you.